Good morning. Our sermon text this morning is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. That's on page 984 of your house Bible. If you don't have a Bible or if you know someone who needs one, please take that with you as our gift to you. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, page 984. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us now as we hear your word. There are nothing but weak vessels to come and proclaim it, and we are weak and in need of it. Thank you, Father, for your word, which teaches, corrects, reproves, instructs, and trains us in righteousness that we might be adequately equipped for all of the good works that you have prepared for us to walk in. I pray that it would help us in that way today, for your glory, for our joy, in Christ's name, amen. There are three points to today's sermon from Colossians chapter 3, all coming from verse 17. All coming from verse 17. Number one, whatever you do. That's the first thought. Whatever you do, be thinking about that. Second thought, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, giving thanks to God through Jesus. So measure everything you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through Jesus. That's Colossians chapter 3, 17. I want you to think with me, just measuring all of the things that you do. What all is included in whatever you do? Can we grasp how comprehensively this command reaches? Whatever you do, do everything, he says. This is not a a nonchalant or lazy word, not just a a broad, general broadcast about our lives. Whatever, whatever you do, it's actually a meticulous, measured counting of every single thing that we do. Each 
thing that you do, do these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. The specificity can significantly sharpen a warning, for example, when Jesus says in Luke 12, 3, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Or it can specify a great hope that we have in God's word. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. We might have encouragement. Meaning all the things, everything, everything that you've said, everything that's in Scripture. It's a careful calculation of a set of data. Calculate in Colossians 3, it's inclusive of everything that we say and everything that we do. See how whatever and everything has everything that we say and do in between it in the text. So let's calculate carefully everything. The first thing that Paul refers to in the middle of that sentence is word, a category often underestimated. We use a lot of words every day. Some of us more than others. Statistics will say, depending on which one you read, women use more words in a day than men. There's actually a study that came out in 2017, according to ABC, that says men use as many, if not more, words than women. I'm going to stop there. How many words do you use every day? How many, how many words do you think you use every day? Statistics will tell us anywhere from an average of 6,000 to 16,000 words every day. You just do the math, averaging about 10,000 words a day, 3,650,000 words a year. Look at how many words you're using this year. The Bible is replete with instruction about the power of our tongues. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a vast difference. You can kill or you can heal with your mouth. I think we've all felt what it's like when words feel like they're killing us. We've all felt what it's like when someone gives us words and it's giving us life, bringing us to life. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife. A whisperer separates close friends. Isn't that how powerful gossip is? Even really close friends can be separated by you spreading one word about one of the friends. Those words are powerful. Even close friends separated by just small whispers. You ever had a perfectly seasoned steak? You ever have one of those? Or maybe perfectly flavored and textured queso with chips? Or the perfectly brewed coffee? You know how good it is? You know how savory and satisfying it is? Colossians 4, verse 6, Paul instructs us, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. The salt of grace. You all know what an aftertaste is? 
You ever have some food that maybe tasted good on the front end, but as you leave, the aftertaste is disgusting. Sweet at first, bitter later, perhaps. All of our words should be seasoned with the salt of grace. All of our words. So that the aftertaste in conversation with us is graciousness. Undeserved honor, patience, forgiveness, things we heard in Colossians 3. Proverbs 15, verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answer, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. When it comes to words, the righteous tend to want to think very carefully about what they're about to say. The wicked don't think so much. It just, just comes out, just, just, just bursts out in conversation. Is that you? Do you think carefully about what you speak? What do words tend to just gush out without thinking about what you're saying and what it matters and what it, what it might communicate? I think it's true that some people in general are more talkative than others. They have more words to use every day, so to speak. There's a moral principle which says we should all be in some ways very slow to speak. Someone says something, we ought to be careful with every single word that we say in response. That they ought to be intentional and careful. They ask questions in order to understand and then speak. What Paul is saying in Colossians 3.17, the charge to us, church, is whatever you do in word or deed, in word, be careful with your words. Everything you do in word, captivate it, consider it, think about it. I'll just be honest, sometimes this is a real struggle for me. I love to joke. I think sarcasm is a spiritual gift, and I have it. I tend to run loose lips sometimes. It's not always good. It's not always good. Think carefully about what you say. Whatever you do, in word, careful about it. Measure it. Calculate it. That's the first specifying set of data that we should measure the things that you say. The second, Paul says, is the things that you do, your words and your deeds. Whatever you do in word, and the second thing he says is, is deed, actions. What do you do? Paul wants the church to think about everything they do, everything that we do. If you kept your mouth closed your whole life, you still have to think about everything that you do, everything else. One of the things that I think is popular in society today is to separate the intent of the heart from the action itself in order to justify ourselves as people. And well, sometimes that just happens. That does happen. You, you truly mean for something good to happen, but accidentally or actually it creates an unfortunate outcome. I think that's possible. But I'm, I'm mostly talking about when, when we do an action in our lives, when we do a deed that is by definition sinful or ungodly, we should not just wash it away with, I didn't mean that. We should be careful about that. Here, Paul is giving us responsibility for our deeds. He's giving the church responsibility 
for what they do. Whatever you do in word or deed, you should own it and be careful about it. Think about it. Watch over it. This is very important. Our deeds do not happen to us. They are attributed to us when we do them. There is a psyche going around in the world today. I did something, but the only reason I did that was not because of me. It didn't come out of me or from me. I did it because of something that was happening to me. So I've got my action, but my action is only relating to my circumstance out there. And Paul does not let us think that way. Whatever you do, you take control of that. You think about that. You be careful about that. Everything you do is yours. It's up to you. It comes from you. How you respond to phenomena, how you respond to circumstances, how you respond to your spouse or your children or your work, it comes from you. No one else. It comes right out of your own heart, your own mind. Whatever you do, indeed, that's what you did. It comes from you. There are a couple of ways that we can look at our deeds in disproportion. And one of them is to severely overestimate our deeds. Overestimate our deeds. To kind of think that our deeds run the entire world, and they should, and they do. And feel the pressure of influencing the entire environment around us by everything that we do. It's a false omnipresence, a false omniscience, a false omnipotence. I think we live in a time where, and at least I do, I, I live in a time every morning, I read the news, and, and I just, scrolling through the news, I will in 20 seconds see how many people died in Ukraine, what Taylor Swift had for dinner last night, and then I'll see something about Mexico and immigration, then I'll see a commercial for a movie, something about this week's shooting on a campus, and then I, then I just keep going. I want to tell you, in, in social media today, it's very easy to scroll and scroll and scroll and feel responsible for everything that we constantly see. Maybe you just feel that way about work. You just feel like you own everything at your workplace. Your whole entire house is all your responsibility. No one else is responsible for anything. It's all on you, all the time. That's a crushing burden. Let me just encourage you, you're not God. You cannot know everything. You cannot do something about everything. Don't, uh, don't overestimate what you are supposed to be doing and feeling guilty that you are not doing something about everything all the time. Don't be discouraged about caring about your deeds for the name of Christ, falling into the trap of thinking you're supposed to know everything and do something about everything. That will lead to serious fatigue in doing good. Don't fall into that trap. We're each one body, eyes, ears, hands, and you're the operator. You can only go so far. The other danger about our deeds is underestimation. Underestimation. My deeds don't even really matter. My sin doesn't matter. What I do in life, it doesn't even doesn't really affect anything. It doesn't matter what I do. No one's watching. No one's seeing. It's very small. There's seven, eight billion people in the world. What does it matter what I do? I'm a fatalistic look at the world. 
Just think about how Thomas Brooks, in his book, Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices, talks about sin. He says, a little hole in the ship sinks it. Isn't that true? A small breach in a sea bank will carry it all away. A little stab to the heart kills a man. Without a great deal of mercy, a small sin will damn a man. He says, if the serpent winds back its head, you can be sure that its whole body is about to follow after. He says, greater sins do sooner startle the soul. Great big sins might shock you, but the danger of little sins is they don't seem to waken you up as much. They don't frighten you. Lesser sins, he said, tend to slide into the soul. An example is in underestimating deeds, a picture might be our daughter going to the hospital a couple of years ago, almost two years ago now. Uh, she had a, a rash in her eye, and we could tell it was some kind of infection, like pink eye, something like that. No worries, right? You, kids get pink eye, you get rashes. This is, this is normal every day, everyday life. These things happen. But just a few hours later, we found ourselves in the hospital crying, praying to God. As our daughter went back into a 4.30 a.m. emergency surgery to try to save her eye and keep the infection from spreading into her blood or her brain. Two surgeries, actually, that week. For a whole seven days, we were in the hospital as they brought in bag after bag after bag of super antibiotics that they put right into her veins over and over and over. Finally got home, Jane got better, and then started coming in the hospital bill. You cannot believe the ungodly amount of money they charge for that. Actually, some of you probably, you've seen this stuff. And by God's grace, we have insurance, and this church was mostly helpful to us to help pay for so many things. But when you see this bill looking up at $200,000, and you just go, you know, eight days ago, ten days ago, before that, we were just thinking, eh, it's pink eye, we'll be fine. I wonder if there's any deeds in your life that you look at and you just think, that's eh, pink eye, it's fine. It's small. It's not going to grow. Probably not a very powerful infection. Probably not really going to do anything. I don't have to, to worry about it. But they slide right into the soul, don't they? Those little sins, like an infection into the eye. Don't think of any deed as too small to need your attention. None, not one. Paul, the apostle, under the authority of Jesus Christ, won't give us permission to categorize our lives as some things really important and some things are not worth our time and attention. Whatever you do, in word or in deed. You, know, you think about your life, our, our lives tend to be made up of sometimes three, five, ten huge life-changing decisions. You know, I didn't, I didn't choose this, but one, one main event in my life was being born in Denison, Texas. Big event for me, personally. Graduated high school, accepted a college, and uh, chose to Marry a woman named Colette. Chose to move to a city. Chose to move around Austin. There's some big decisions, but there's like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, the most. But much of our life is a million 
little decisions all day, every day. And Paul is saying, whatever you do, in word or in deed. We're tempted sometimes, I think, to think that everything is, everything is really important but our deeds. If fatalistic, we think our deeds don't really matter. Satan will tempt us to believe that what we do doesn't matter. No one sees, no one cares, it doesn't really affect anything. When the Bible passages like Ecclesiastes actually tell us the exact opposite. Solomon spends 12 chapters saying nothing really matters. You, you own a pool, you own a house, you have a car. Great, you're rich, you're poor, doesn't really matter. When you die, it's all just going to be sitting there and you're going to be in the grave. It's all vain. But what does matter? What is not vain? What, what is the most important thing that is not vain in your life? He ends, Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter. When I've been looking all over the world, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, or God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That matters. What you do matters. And Paul is trying to give us a bearing. He's giving a measuring stick by which we can calculate and measure every word and every deed in our lives. That we can clear through the confusion of false high standards, false low standards, and simply say, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can I do that? That is my test. That is my charge. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's asking us to think about our lives. Can I put an I'm following Jesus bumper sticker on my car? Would my driving honor such a sticker? Can you invite someone to church right after whatever it is you said. Could you get done with a conversation and just add, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm just telling you right now, guys, <laughs> this is convicting. And let's just all be honest. We cannot do this. We cannot get done with all the conversations with our spouses. We cannot get done with all the conversations with the people on Spectrum Internet phone. Or the guy, the auto mechanic who's taking care of our car. Or the banker. Every word, every deed. We want to be able to say, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Spectrum person, for helping me with the outage today. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you finish your conversation like that? Or do we like to take advantage of waiters and waitresses? Mistreating them. I mean, all of our words, all of our deeds... Paul is calling us to do them in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is so broadly and so encompassing that it narrows all of our words and our deeds down to one, one matter. And that is the second thing. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. No word or deed is too small to take captive for his name. Even a mouse robed in the king's garments becomes royal in the kingdom of God. No word or deed is too great to measure beyond Jesus' worth. Even an elephant must bend down to his knees in the presence of Jesus Christ. Do everything, everything, all things, big, small, word, deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is checking to see if our salvation is our motivation for how we live our lives. Is it connected? Those who are in Jesus Christ are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As God's new covenant people, we bear His name. The charge that was given to the old covenant people in the Old Testament, you be holy for I am holy, for I am your God and you are my people. That is passed over into the New Testament as well under Jesus Christ. I am your God, you are my people. Jesus is the mediating Savior, priest, king, prophet. You be holy as I am holy. Colossians 3.16 is like Paul saying the commandment that we begin our first weekend in the series in February. Paul is saying, in essence, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. You don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't call yourself a Christian. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain by being baptized. Don't join a church. Don't run around and tell everyone that you're a Christian. Don't post Christian things on Facebook. Don't gab about Christ if you're not watching your words and your deeds. We ought to catch up with our profession in our words and in our deeds. Can you click on it in Jesus' name? Can you buy it in Jesus' name? Can you sing it or watch it in Jesus' name? Friends, this means, this means that we are to live our whole lives for Jesus' name and not our own. That every local church ought to be a concert, an orchestra of words and deeds which bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we ought to be a unified, singing, living, speaking body for Jesus' name. None of us desiring any credit or any name for ourselves whatsoever. We do everything for His name and in His name. We are watching this week the Odysseus lunar landing. Uh, severely disappointing. No live video. The thing fell over at the end. They couldn't find it for like 20 minutes. But it's an eight-foot box that we landed on the moon after 50 years of not putting anything on the moon as Americans. And there's, a, there's this round table. I don't know if it was in Houston or where it is. A round table, and you've got the flight dynamic team. You've got the power team. You've got the altitude team. You've got the, I don't know what all the teams are. But when the thing landed, and they got confirmation that it was at least whole and on the moon, Everyone celebrated together at the singular accomplishment of landing an object on the moon. What you did not see was the flight dynamic team standing up and saying, we did that. We did that. You didn't see the power team going, you guys are lucky we're here. I mean, you should be really glad. Uh, actually, NASA probably could say that because it was their device that actually landed the thing after it failed. Watching this week, the nation of Turkey received and flew its first fifth-generation fighter plane. Apparently, this was a big deal for those in Turkey. We seem to take it for granted, apparently. One fifth-generation fighter plane. They show the flying of this plane, the testing of this plane for the first time. 
The plane lands, the camera shifts to a room of about 50 people in front of computers. Everyone in the room begins to clap and shout because they flew one fifth-generation fighter. The plane lands into the tarmac, comes back toward the airport or toward the base. And, I mean, I, there's a rough estimate count. Anywhere between 150 and 300 crewmen flood out onto the tarmac, celebrating, singing, high-fiving each other, clapping. Not one of them seemed to be saying, golly, man, I'm just, I did this. This is all me. I'm so glad. There's just a corporate unison thankfulness to accomplish one thing together. Friends, the name of Jesus Christ is that thing which should level all of our deeds and our words. I, I would just be happy to be a guy in one of those yellow vests and you don't even know what he does, but he is part of the crew he is on the tarmac celebrating flight with everyone in his small part. Friends, let that be our attitude. All my words, all my deeds, how big, how small, it doesn't really matter, as long as Jesus' name is being glorified, as long as we're doing it in Jesus' name, in holiness. This is a personal heart check. What do I care about so much? What bothers me so much? What do I want to happen just my plans and my ideas and my New Year's resolutions, which I'm not even going to ask how those are going. But what's the teleos? What's the end? What's my ambition? President Truman is known for saying, it's amazing what you can accomplish when nobody gets the credit. And Paul is saying something even higher. It's amazing how much God is glorified when the name of Jesus is in every word and deed. God is glorified when the name of Jesus is in every word and deed. Recall that Jesus is the head of the new covenant and the head of the church. He is the priest. He is the king. He is the prophet. He is God's son. He is the head of the church. Go back from Colossians chapter 1. Christ is so central to God's plan that all things, go back to Ephesians 1, in heaven and in earth, past, present, and future, all things... God does by, through, and for the name and the man, his son, Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything God is doing on the earth. He ought to be the center of all of our words and all of our deeds. Piper says it this way, we should constantly be Christ conscious and God thankful all the time. Make this your heart today. Perhaps the name of Jesus and the glory of Jesus have not been forefront in your mind. There's been a lot of words. There's been a lot of deeds. Not a lot of the name of Christ spoken or intended in them. Let me just encourage you this way. You might be hearing this and thinking, man, this sounds hard. This is going to take effort. Let me just encourage you. It does take effort. You have to try at this. This is not something that you do accidentally. This is something that requires discipleship. There is a reason Paul actually has to tell the church to focus on this and try hard at this and grow in this and work at this. Why? Because they're not good at it yet. Because we're not good at it yet. You know why we keep coming to church every single week while we gather in small groups, while we get together for breakfast and read and pray together? Because we are trying to get better at this. Not because we're so good and we're going to pat ourselves on the back. This is kind of the whole point of discipleship. 
I think sometimes we get discouraged. We think that growing as a Christian is just magic. You, know, you, know, you become a Christian, then you're just, you're just all of a sudden better. And friends, woe to us if we just stop thinking we need to grow. We stop thinking, hey, I've kind of arrived as a Christian. I don't need to be cautious of my words. I don't need to be cautious of my deeds. This is a means of sanctification and discipleship to be very careful, increasingly careful about your words, increasingly careful about your deeds for the purpose of doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need help to do this. This is why Paul gives this letter to the church, to help them do this better than they were. That's called discipleship. This is the whole point of the Word of God, to instruct, to correct, to reprove us. Let me tell you something, friends. If you don't go to God's Word in order to be instructed and corrected and reproved, you are not going to like it very long. Or you will abuse it significantly. It's here to correct. And so we need help. We need to grow. That's what Paul is trying to encourage in us. And Paul is invoking a carefulness about all of our words and deeds because of and for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the purpose of Jesus' name is not on the forefront of your mind today, let me just encourage you to go take a straight V-line to Him. To Him. And see Him. And know Him. A couple of books I could recommend. Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves. It's a, just a whole book. 110, 150 pages. Very readable. It's just all about Jesus. The book's called Rejoicing in Christ. If you're like, I've been doing a lot of deeds. I've been doing a lot of thinking words. And I just haven't been thinking that much about Jesus Pick up a book called Rejoicing in Christ and read it for the sake of just getting Christ on the forefront of your mind. Or maybe a smaller book, which we should have some in the foyer, Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. Very small book, very approachable, very readable. Just get Jesus on your mind. Who is this man? Have I forgotten what he's like? And of course, just read the Gospels. Maybe your afternoon reading or maybe your week's devotion this week would be altered just to be one of the Gospels. And just read the Bible. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I mean, the whole Bible is about Jesus, but these are Jesus' life. Just read one of those Gospels in one setting. And just do it for the purpose not to do a Bible study. Not necessarily to do a study and make personal life applications in every single chapter. But just maybe for once, just read it just to look at Jesus and be in awe of who He is and everything that He's done. So that His name and the command to do all our words and all of our deeds in His name. I mean, that was sure set differently on us when we see what makes his name so great. When we see him on the cross for our sin, when we read about him raising from the dead, feeding the poor, healing, speaking truth, read through the Gospels, put your eyes on Jesus Christ. But whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, giving thanks to God through him. Giving thanks to God through him. What's the most motivation of everything that we do toward the Lord? Is it duty? We have a duty to do something? Yes, in part. Is it that God demands it? In part, yes. Is it fear of the Lord? Yes, there is a righteous fear of the Lord. Certainly those motivations are all in the Bible. 
But Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are on the side of telling God, thank you. In our relationship with God, we are on the side of telling Him, thank you. There's a story, I don't know if it's, if it's based on a true story or not, but it's called Moana by Disney. That's not true. I, I'm pretty, pretty sure it's not a true story. One of the main characters is a demigod named Maui. Maui is demigod, man, god, person. Steals the jade heart of the goddess Tefiti, leading to the ruin of the island by dark blight, which begins to cover it and begins to infect the fruit of the island. Long story short, 1,000 years later, after Maui steals the heart of Tefiti and begins the process of corruption, a princess named Moana sets off to find Maui so that he can return the heart of Tefiti and restore the balance of life and nature. She treks through waves and trouble and trials. She finally finds Maui on a distant island where he's apparently been stuck. But when Moana finally finds Maui, she demands that he replace the heart of Tefiti. And how does Maui respond? In a song, of course. And the title of the song is You're Welcome. You're Welcome. The one who was responsible for the destruction of their island, when they finally found him and asked him to fix things, sang a song, you're welcome. Friends, that's essentially our relationship to the entire earth. God created the earth and the garden and Adam and Eve in it for his glory and for his name. They were created in righteousness and holiness and they sinned against him. And then onward to today, it is man's sin back in the garden which has been spreading through the world like a curse to every man and to creation itself. And because of this, there is no situation whatsoever, whatsoever in which man's message to God is, you're welcome. You're welcome. Maybe you've had a work project lately where someone took an outsized portion of the credit. Isn't that frustrating? You work for 40 hours, someone works for three, gets handed into the boss, and they get a raise, or they get a promotion, or they get praise or a day off for all the hard work that they did. Students, maybe you've done a school project together in class, you turn it in, you are the one who wrote all of the paper you put together all of the graphs and drawings, but then your friend presented it. Everyone thinks it was his or her work. Remember, this is our relationship with God. Thank you. Our relationship to God is thank you because of his salvation and because glory is entirely due to his name for all that he has done. The whole deposit of our lives to God is a return of gratitude. 
Our entire relationship with God is one where God is the benefactor and we are the beneficiary. Think about what the Bible says about God in Acts chapter 17. Paul says at the Areopagus, God does not live in temples. He's not served by human hands as though he needs anything since God has given us life and breath and everything. Here we are being told, whatever you do in word or deed, all things, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, remember, it's God who gave us everything. We don't give him anything that he doesn't already have or first given us. Psalm 50, verse 12, just a wonderful picture of a sense of God's humor. If I were hungry, God says, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. There's nothing that we can give God, not a word, not a deed, not a breath, not a dollar, where God says, thank you, thank you. I just don't know what I would have done without that. No, our entire disposition to God, all of our words, all of our deeds, every single one of our lives is saying thank you to God. And our thankfulness is measured in words and deeds. Our thankfulness isn't measured just in our heart, not just our words, not just our deeds. But in all of our words, in all of our deeds, there's a bank for thankfulness to God. Friends, just remember all of our words, all of our deeds are forgiven in Jesus Christ. There's not a word If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for you, risen from the grave, there's not a word that is not forgiven and cannot be forgiven. There's not a deed before you're a Christian or after that could not be forgiven if there's repentance and seeking forgiveness. That's why the measure of our thankfulness back to God is whatever you do, in word or in deed, Half-gratitudes are wholly unpleasing to God. Half-gratitudes are wholly unpleasing to God. God is not pleased when we worship Him, when we love Him, when we serve Him in word only, or name only, in vain, saying thank you on Sunday, and then forgetting God on Monday. That does not please the Lord. That's not the fullness of what it means to be thankful to God. He's redeemed Monday through Saturday and Sunday and all of our words and all of our deeds. Half gratitude, word only, is wholly unpleasing to God. The same goes for deed only. Try so hard to live a perfect life and obey all the law and be a good person and you never mess up and everywhere you go, your teeth are gritted and your your fists are clenched and you're doing all the deeds Happiness and joy just don't come out of your mouth about the Lord. Praising Him, singing worship with the church gathered is kind of a, this is a thing that we do. This is another, do, this is another deed that I'm doing. Friends, if we are going to grow in thankfulness, and by thankfulness grow in careful thanking God with all of our words and deeds, let me just encourage you that what we need is the gospel. The gospel itself. Because here is what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is saying to God in faith, thank you, God. 
Thank you that I am a sinner, wretched. Thank you, God, that I deserve your just wrath. Thank you, God, that though you made me, I have lived in sin. My words and my deeds have not been pleasing to you, but thank you, God, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to raise from the dead to entirely cover my sins and bring me to new life by giving me a new heart. Thank you, God. And thank you, God, that Jesus is alive and that he's reigning today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that Jesus has promised he will return one day. And thank you, God, that he's coming. Thank you, God, that by your spirit and by the gospel for me, I have an inheritance in the saints in heaven forever, and I'm looking forward to it. And you've sealed it by the Holy Spirit. God, thank you. You have said that you would never leave me nor forsake me, God. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel. We don't need to look to our purses, to our bank accounts, to our houses, to the people that we've lost or that we have to become thankful to God. Look at the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for you, who will one day bring us to heaven forever and put our faith in him. All of our thanks to God is through Jesus Christ. You see how Paul says it that way? Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father. How do we give thanks to God the Father? Through Christ. Our fundamental thankfulness to God is through Jesus Christ. And so all of our words, all of our deeds are to him in his name. All of our breath is blood-bought breath. All of our life and our hands and our limbs are blood-bought life. And just as there is no deed too small to need the blood of Jesus, there is no deed too great to be covered by the blood of Jesus dying in your place. So there is no deed too small no deed too great, no word too small, no word so important that it does not deserve his name attached to it. Whatever you do, word or indeed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father in his name. Let us do what we so often sing at this church and with thankfulness say, you are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... so kind to us. Our words and our deeds as descendants from Adam are just, they're not glorifying to you. They're not honoring to you. They're not like you. But we give you thanks that you've sent Christ to die for us. With that thankfulness in our hearts, with that faith in our hearts, Father, we pray that you would help us do whatever we do in all of our words and all of our deeds in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a people who've been called for your purpose, by your name, for your name. 
having taken on your name, might we be a church that just continually grows and not taking the name in vain, being careful with all of our words and deeds. Father, thank you. Help us by your spirit, according to your word. Live every, every word, every deed for your name. In Christ's name, amen.